0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Murderers, drug dealers, child molesters, we understand why God would send those people to hell, but why does God send good people to hell? The answer is because nobody is good enough. Nobody can be in heaven without the forgiveness that is available only through Jesus Christ, no matter how good they are. And that's the truth we're going to see illustrated in our passage today.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. When Jesus came to earth, His ministry sent shockwaves throughout the Jewish community. And before long, His message would spread beyond the borders of Galilee and Judea and reach the far corners of the world. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about the very first Gentile who accepted Jesus, now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffers. Thanks, David, and welcome again to
0: Pathway to Victory. This week, we are in the final stretch of the $500,000 Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. And the deadline for receiving your gift is coming soon. It's July the 4th. Our prayer at Pathway to Victory is that God will stir in the hearts of people like you to respond generously. I'm sure your family has felt the increasing pressure caused by inflation. At Pathway to Victory, we do as well. But we know that God isn't wringing his hands. He's not worried about the American economy. His heart, I'm sure, goes out to those who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, some very good friends of Pathway to Victory have set this matching challenge in motion. As a result, you have this great opportunity to leverage your gift. This means that your generous gift of, say, $100 today becomes $200. A gift of $500 becomes $1,000. A gift of $5,000 would be matched by our friends until it became $10,000. By July 4th, we hope to meet or even exceed the goal of $500,000 so that we can share the good news about Jesus Christ here in America and around the world. To say thank you for your gift today, I'm going to send you my brand new book called Unstoppable Power. It's based on Acts chapters 1 through 12. It's the book I wrote while preparing my messages for this brand new teaching series. By reading my book, you'll gain inspiration from first century Christians who endured far more persecution than you and me. They were unstoppable, and you can be as well. David and I will give more details about the matching challenge and my book, Unstoppable Power, just after today's message. But right now, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I titled today's message, Why God Sends Good People to Hell. We've come to a milestone event in our study of the book of Acts, the conversion of the first Gentile, who wasn't a bad man, he was a good man. As we look at that story, we discover why it is that God sends good people to hell. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10, the story of the conversion of Cornelius. First of all, as we're going to see, everyone has a knowledge of God. There's a knowledge of God that is open to anybody who has never heard a preacher, missionary, or ever read a Bible. Everyone can know that there is a God. That's what we see beginning in verse one. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And at about the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. on our clock, the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius, while he was praying, clearly saw a vision, an angel of God, And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That is, I'm answering your prayer. And this is how I'm going to do it. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. And he's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Now, the question comes, how did Cornelius come to know the true God? we're not told how he came to know the true God. Perhaps one night while he was on military duty, he looked up into the Mediterranean sky and he saw all the stars and he came to the understanding that he didn't create those. There was a God in heaven who was greater than he was and he wanted to know that God. You know, we call that in theology, natural revelation. Natural revelation is information that is available to everybody in the world today without reading a Bible or hearing a preacher. It's what every person can know about God. It's what nature reveals about God. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 19 about why everybody's without excuse for rejecting the gospel. He said in verse 19, "...because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them." For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, created, so that they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse for not coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because everybody can know that there is a God by looking at nature. And that leads to a second truth that we find in this passage. Yes, everyone has a knowledge about God. And secondly, anyone who desires further revelation about God will receive it. We don't know what Cornelius said to God, but we know how God responded to it. He told Cornelius to send his men to go get Simon Peter from Joppa. Look at verse 9 of chapter 10. And on the next day, as they were on their way, that is the men from Cornelius' house, and they were approaching Joppa where Peter was, at the same time, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That would have been noon. Now remember, he was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. A tanner is somebody who would kill animals and use their hide for other products, you know, and so forth. And to the Jews, that was a detestable occupation because Jews weren't supposed to touch the dead bodies of animals. Uh, It was prohibited. But Simon Peter was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And I'm sure as he went up to the rooftop to pray, as he walked by Simon the Tanner, he thought to himself, I sure am glad I'm more holy than he is. Touching these dead animals, what a disgusting occupation. And so he goes up in a spirit of self righteousness to pray. And he's kneeling on the rooftop praying when he suddenly gets hungry. Have you ever gotten hungry when you're praying before? (laughs) Well, that's what Peter uh, had happened to him. And he fell into a trance. And in that trance, he saw a vision, the Bible says, of a sheet coming down from heaven filled with all kinds of animals, not just clean animals, but those that were forbidden by the Old Testament. And a voice from heaven said to Peter, Peter, kill these animals and eat. You're hungry, eat. And Peter said to the voice from heaven, Lord, have you forgotten who you're talking to? I am a holy man. I would never eat of those animals. Why don't you remember what you wrote in your own law, Leviticus 11, that we're not supposed to eat those animals? And so the Bible says in verse 15, again, the voice came to him saying, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was reflecting on this vision, and what it could possibly mean. Suddenly, he hears downstairs a knock at the door. And it's the people from Cornelius' house who want to find Simon Peter. And so they inquire if he's living there. And Simon the Tanner says, yes. So they come to get Peter. They tell him what has happened. And Peter agrees that something supernatural is taking place here. So he goes with them to meet with Cornelius and his family. Look at verses 28 and 29. When he arrives at the home of Cornelius, he said to Cornelius and his family and slaves, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. He put two and two together. That's what that vision from heaven was about. The clean and the unclean uh, animals. God was showing to me, I have no right to call unholy what God has cleansed. Verse 29, that is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I may ask you, what reason have you sent me? Cornelius, I'm here. God led me here. Now, what can I do for you? And Cornelius said, please preach what God has placed on your heart. Man, any preacher loves to hear that. And Peter preaches the gospel. We don't have time to look at this sermon in depth. But if you read this sermon beginning in verse 34, it is a sermon about the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the indisputable resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a Christ-centered message. And I want you to notice how he concludes it. Verse 42. And God ordered us, Cornelius, to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. Of him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Underline that. When Peter was told he could preach any message he wanted to to Cornelius, this is the one he preached. The one about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that belief in Jesus results in the forgiveness of sins. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. The gospel is not about reconciling broken relationships. It's not about breaking addictive behavior. It's not about instigating social justice throughout the world. The gospel is about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. Now, I realize that's not popular to say in a lot of Christian circles. There are a lot of so-called Christians today who disparage such a message. They say, oh, Robert, all you're talking about is the forgiveness of sins. You want people to think that all the gospel is is about getting your free ticket to heaven, your free ticket to heaven. Have you ever heard anybody talk about how uh, ludicrous it is to say that the gospel is just about a free ticket to heaven? Let me ask you, what could be more important than receiving a ticket to heaven? Do you want to have a ticket to hell instead? Who wants that? That is what the gospel is about. It's about that free gift of grace that leads to eternal life. Now, don't misunderstand. There are many important things to talk about after a person has received their ticket to heaven. But there's nothing more important to talk to people about before they have received their ticket to heaven. The gospel is about the grace of Jesus Christ that leads us to heaven. That's what Peter said. That's what the gospel was all about. He preached that message and noticed the supernatural results beginning in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised, that is the Jewish believers who came with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. It's interesting to note from this point through the rest of the Bible, the pattern is always the same. The moment somebody trusted in Christ for their salvation that moment they were baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. There was not any lag, any interval. People didn't have to pray for, beg for, and treat God for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It was the immediate result of trusting in Christ as Savior. And so was not just spirit baptism, but water baptism. Look at verse 7, 47. Peter said, surely... No one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they ask him to stay on for a few days. Here we see the pattern over and over again. A person believes and then they're baptized. Believe and be baptized. Never once do you have somebody baptized before they believed in Jesus Christ. What does Acts 10 tell us about conversion? First of all, everyone has a knowledge of God. No, it's not a knowledge that leads to salvation, but it is a knowledge if rejected that prevents them from salvation. Everyone has a knowledge of God. Secondly, anyone who desires further revelation about God will receive it. And finally, no one is saved without a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, What is the application for us today? Let me give you two very simple but profound applications. Number one, like Peter, we must be available to proclaim the gospel. We have to be available. If no one is saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ, then we need to realize We may be that final link in the chain that begins with God and leads to an unbeliever's heart, leading them to salvation. We may be the mouthpiece God uses for somebody to come to faith to Christ. It was for Philip. Here he was having a great revival in Samaria when God says, I have someplace else I need you to be. And Philip made himself available to go on that Gaza desert road to witness to that Ethiopian eunuch. He was the final link that led that eunuch to faith in Christ. Same thing with Peter. When God told him to go, he didn't argue. He went where God told him to go. And he was ready when the centurion asked to preach the gospel to him. He knew exactly what to say. Ladies and gentlemen, it is no accident if you're a Christian that God has placed you in the family you're in. He's placed you in that place of business or in that school or in that neighborhood. You are his representative to lead people to know Christ as Savior. You have to be available, and by the way, you have to be trained to do it. You have to know what to say when somebody asks you, "Uh, can you tell me how to go to heaven when I die? Can you tell me how to become a Christian? We need to be available and ready to share when we're asked to share. One of the things we're doing here in our church, we're dividing up our Sunday school classes into two groups, and each Sunday school class will spend one day during the Sunday school hour learning how to share the gospel with somebody. We need to be equipped and available to share the gospel. By the way, we need to be available not just individually, but together as a church to share the gospel. I want to tell you, God is using First Baptist Dallas in a unique way to be that final link that tells people all around the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, again, we're asking the question, how do people who have never heard a missionary preacher or never read a Bible, how do they come to know Christ? Friday, I was with Matt and Laurie Crouch, the leaders of the Trinity Broadcasting Network, the largest Christian network in the world, reaching all 195 countries of this world with the gospel. We were taping a special about heaven that will be on in March, but they said on the air, and they said off the air, they said for the 14th month in a row, Pathway to Victory is the most watched program on the entire Trinity Broadcasting Network. Just think about this. And that's worth thanking God for. But think about it. Two times a day, seven days a week. The gospel of Jesus Christ telling people how to be saved is being beamed from this place to the far corners of the earth into places no missionary or pastor will ever reach, places where no Bible is found, but we are able to share the gospel. We are the final link. We need to pray that God will continue to use our church in that way. But the application here is like Peter, we must be available to share the message of Christ. And secondly, like Peter, we must want to proclaim the gospel to others. Remember, before Peter was used by God, he had to be changed by God. Peter admitted he had prejudice in his own heart. There were certain people he didn't wanna see in heaven, and that would be Gentiles, people unlike himself. And you know there's that same kind of prejudice today. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody you can think of that you would say, you know, I'd just as soon not spend eternity in heaven with them. I would just as soon they go to hell as go to heaven. Anybody like that you feel that way about? When I think about this truth, I think about a man in my previous church, in First Baptist Church, Wichita Falls. If you were to poll the congregation of who the most spiritual man in that church was, without doubt, the majority would say a man named Harold Warren. He was the chairman of the pastor search committee that called me to First Baptist Wichita Falls. He was a great godly man and a man of prayer. And I'll never forget about six days after 9-11 when we suffered that horrific terrorist attack. I remember running into Harold. He was coming down the stairs of the church. I said, Harold, what are you doing? He just shook his head. He said, Pastor, I have a confession to make. He said, a few days ago, God spoke to me and said, Harold, you need to pray for the salvation of Osama bin Laden. And I said, God, I'm just not going to do that. I don't want Osama bin Laden to go to heaven. I want him to go to hell. And I struggled with that the last three or four days, and God just worked on my heart and said, Harold, you can't be a Christian if you don't want to see Osama bin Laden in heaven. And so I knelt down today in the prayer room and I prayed for Osama bin Laden's salvation. Now, that's a funny story, but it illustrates an important truth. If we're really going to be used by God, we have to be willing and wanting to share the gospel with everyone. We need to want to see everybody in heaven. During that period of time that I was in Wichita Falls, I became friends with the late Dr. Frank Pollard, who for many years was the pastor of the great First Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Frank would come by to see me when he was there to visit his brother. And one afternoon, he told me the story about his first Sunday as pastor of that church. He said he closed his first sermon by saying, anybody and everybody is welcome to join the First Baptist Church. And he said the next day he got a call from one of the leaders in the church. A group of leaders wanted to meet with Dr. Pollard. And so he met with them. He didn't know what about. And they proceeded very firmly to explain to him why everyone was not welcomed in the First Baptist Church, especially people of a certain race, and that the church was not open to them. And Frank said that as they talked to him and talked to him he silently prayed for God's wisdom and how to respond. And when they had finished, this is what he said. He said, gentlemen, I grew up in a three-room shack. I was the eighth child. When I was born, the next youngest child was 12 years older than I. My family didn't have room for me. I'm sure my brothers resented me. As a little baby, I was smelly. I couldn't talk like them. I didn't have the manners not to awaken them in the middle of the night. What if my brothers had gone to my father and said, we don't want him in our house any longer. He's not like us. He bothers us. My father would have said, forget it. He is my son and this is my house. He stays." Dr. Pollard looked at those men and said, gentlemen, I don't believe we have the right to say who is and is not welcome in our Father's house. That's our message today. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter your political party affiliation. It doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've done it. Everyone who trusts in Christ is welcome in the Father's house. That was the message of Peter, and that is our message today. I know that someone is listening right now who needs to be welcomed into God's family. Friends, our Father is ready to welcome you with open arms. As I said a moment ago, everyone who trusts in Christ is welcome in the Father's house. This is the life-giving message we declare every day on Pathway to Victory. I'm happy to report that people are responding positively to God's call on their life. And when you partner with us, you're playing a significant role in this process. God is using your generous gifts to bring Pathway to Victory to listeners all across America and the world. Keep in mind that we're coming up on a significant deadline. Next Tuesday, July the 4th, Pathway to Victory will finish our month-long matching challenge. There's still time to double the size of your gift, but you need to respond right away. We're asking God to use men and women just like you to help us reach and even exceed the $500,000 goal. Now to express my thanks for your generous gift, I'm prepared to send you an exclusive gift from Pathway to Victory. Remember, our current teaching series is called Unstoppable Power. It's a study in the book of Acts chapters 1-12 through and will end this Wednesday. For that reason, it's imperative that we hear from you right away so that I can send you a copy of my brand new book. Again, it's called Unstoppable Power. To be clear, when you give a gift to the Matching Challenge today, it will be matched and therefore doubled in size. Plus, you'll also receive a thank you gift from me, and that's my brand new book called
1: Unstoppable Power. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request a copy of the brand new book, Unstoppable Power, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Don't forget your gift right now will be doubled in impact through our Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. Call us at 866-999-2965 or visit our website ptv.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $100 or more, we'll also include the complete Unstoppable Power teaching series on audio and video discs, plus a study guide to use for personal or group study. But time is running out to request this package of resources, so be sure to get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You can also send your request by mail Write to PO Box 223609 Dallas, Texas 75222. One more time, that's PO Box 223609 Dallas, Texas 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us next time when Dr. Jeffress talks about two first-century churches who experienced God's blessing because they were willing to get creative with sharing the gospel. That's coming up Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.